one theme that's going to keep reemerging throughout it is that wealth is a gift from God. Wealth is, is something that he's given us to steward. It's, it's not something that actually belongs to us. It belongs to him. And it's actually a test. Wealth is a test for us. Wealth exposes our hearts. Wealth is a worship issue. Because how we use our money is one way we either worship or don't worship our God. We can see Jesus talk about that in verse 34, which isn't part of our text this evening. But, um, but it will be soon. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This evening, we get to talk about the parable of the rich fool. So I'm going to read that right now. Verses 13 through 20. Please read this with me. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced bountifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I said to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Been thinking about money, obviously, in preparation for these sermons. We, uh, as Americans, are some of the richest people who have ever lived. Whether, whether or not you feel like it right now, you are among the richest people to have ever lived, historically and globally. So how, how we think about money, how we process money, is a very important topic for our souls. Because we have a lot of it. We have a lot more of it than a lot of the people in the Bible Jesus was warning about money. So we would be wise to pay attention to how we respond to wealth. I know for myself, I have a struggle um, with how I respond to money. It showed up um, a little little bit ago. Someone recommended that I put my money in this um, really uh, high yield savings account, like a high percentage. And so I I put my money in this savings account. And this and it's an online account, so I, I log in, and it has this little number on the side. It would show me how much money my account had made every single day. Every single day, it would take a little higher. So that probably means I should check it every day, right? So I went into it, I started checking it every single day. It's just part of my routine of how much more money did I make today? It didn't take long before that started to become part of my security blanket. Before that'd be a refuge that I would look to instead of the Lord to help me feel a sense of security and safety. My point is that none of us are bent towards the Lord. We're bent towards other things. And money is one of them. Now, at the end of the day, 
Money is not bad. Wealth is not bad. The Lord created money. The Lord created wealth. What's off is our hearts. What's off is our response to it. And so at the end of the day, wealth and money will either take us closer to the Lord or further from him. And the question I want us to answer this evening is how can we use wealth and money to know our Lord better? How can we use money to know God better rather than it pull us further and further away from him? That's what this text is going to answer us, answer for us this evening. How we can use wealth that God has given us to more deeply and intimately know our God. Because it's powerful. And at the end of the day, the wealth God has given us is either going to drag us away from him or help us to know him more. So let's take a look at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That's an amazing thing to say to Jesus right there. He's teaching in a crowd. And this man stands up and commands Jesus to do something. This is not something I would recommend. Jesus had just been teaching about the holiness of God, the fear of the Lord, the need to acknowledge him in the face of persecution, even to the point of death, and his promise that as we acknowledge him, he is acknowledging us before his angels in heaven. Think about how wonderful that teaching is. And then how does this guy respond to that teaching? He totally jumps up and tells Jesus to tell someone else to give him money. Where do you think this person's heart is? His inordinate focus on money is going to be something that Jesus focuses on in the rest of this text. And that's relevant for us because I believe the vast majority of us probably also have an inordinate focus on money. It isn't wrong for him to seek his inheritance. Who knows? Maybe it was what was coming to him. What's wrong is this focus he has on money that instead of relating to Jesus and receiving from Jesus and responding to Jesus, he's trying to get Jesus to get him more money. And I promise you, the reason that Jesus is your Lord is not so that you can have more money. That is not the reason why he is Lord. So this man has an inordinate focus on money that instead of seeking the person of Christ, he seeks to use Jesus to get more money. Lord, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. How does Jesus respond? Verse 14. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? This word man means that Jesus is about to rebuke this person. This person is about to get rebuked for his words to Jesus, and he does. Jesus essentially says to him, this is not my business. I am not here to settle petty disputes for you. I am not here to be a piggy bank. I am not here to do what you want me to do. Who made me? a judge or an, or an arbitrator over you. 
Verse 15, and then he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So this man was, did not know what he was getting into. He was asking Jesus to get him his inheritance. He's going to end up being Jesus' object lesson. He's going to end up being Jesus' object lesson of what not to be. Jesus says, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. In our last sermon last week, Jesus said, take care. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So he warns in the last text that religious hypocrisy is something that's deadly and something that will take you away from Jesus. He's warning us here this evening that greed and covetousness is something that will take us away from Jesus. So he is using this man and his inordinate desire for wealth and his inordinate focus on wealth as an object lesson for do not be this. Do not be overly focused on money and wealth. The heart that is in this man that would drive him to relate to Jesus this way, be on guard, be on guard, lest his heart is in any one of us. Because when Jesus warns about something, he warns about things that kill us. Our response to money, church, can be spiritually deadly. It can be spiritually deadly. So let us, when Jesus says, take care, let's really take care. Like, let's really take care of our hearts and see if what's in this man is in any of us. Because if Jesus warns about it, it is spiritually deadly. Be on your guard against all covetousness. What does that word mean? Covetousness is wanting something that God has not apportioned to you. Every single one of us in this room, God's apportioned to you different things, different amounts of money, different talent, different families, different spouses, different opportunities. Covetousness is that instead of being grateful for whatever it is God has apportioned to you, whatever God has given to you, covetousness is the reach in your heart to try to possess more than that. So something else has some, something and you see them enjoying it and it stirs up something in your heart that makes you want to have that thing. We can see this in children. They're oftentimes a very good example of what the human heart is like. There can be all kinds of toys laying on the ground, right? And no, none of the kids care about any of those toys until one kid starts playing with a the toy. Then which toy do all the other kids want? That's not something that we actually grow out of. That's not something that I grow out of. I went to a, a seminary where um, there were so many gifted people intellectually. And so as a result, you notice when someone is more intellectually gifted than you. And I found out that I have covetousness in my heart because I would notice how gifted other people were and I would want that for myself. When you find yourself focusing on something else someone has, something that someone else has got as a portion to someone else rather than yourself, covetousness is emerging in your heart. It's showing a desire for things that God has not portioned to you. 
And ultimately, that shapes our words and behavior. It shapes our focus. We cannot focus on God and things he hasn't given to us at the same time. You cannot seek the Lord and seek things he has given to other people and not to you. If we indulge our covetousness, if we don't put it to death, we will find ourselves not seeking Jesus. I promise you that. Just like this man was not seeking Jesus. He came to Jesus to get his brother's inheritance or his own inheritance, whichever it is. He did not come to Jesus to seek Jesus. And as long as we allow covetousness to live in our hearts, we will not seek Jesus. You can only have one desire at the end of the day, one thing. And covetousness cannot be one of them. Only Christ can. Take care and be on guard against all covetousness. And Jesus then says something that's very straightforward, very simple, but very true and good for us to hear. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Church, I'm going to say that again. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. It doesn't. How much stuff you have is not your life. It cannot give you life. It cannot keep you alive. It cannot give you eternal life. It can't. In spite of every commercial we see, every movie we watch, every bit of pop culture we consume, it's wrong. Things cannot give you life. And if we orient ourselves around getting life from things, they will ultimately take our life forever. That's the alternative. In the Bible, life is full and long happiness. And what happens is we get confused. Our sinful hearts get confused and think that we can get that full and long happiness from things. But friends, I have known plenty of wealthy people who have been very unhappy people. And even if, even if you can get a measure of happiness in this life from your things, we're going to find out that it's very temporary and it will not satisfy you forever. It will not satisfy you forever. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, Jesus really wants to drive this point home to us in this story. So he's going to tell a parable next. He's going to tell a parable, which is like an imaginary story um, that he tells in order to make a point. So let's take a look at this story that he tells to make a point. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So we have this rich man, and he has a field that produced a lot. I just want to make a comment before we go anything further. There is nothing wrong with that. There's going to be a lot wrong with the story, a lot wrong with this man, but what's wrong with this man is not that his field produced plentifully. That's a good thing. God blessed him. If you have a lot of wealth, if you have a talent that you apply your job and you make a lot of wealth, that's not the issue. The issue is how do you respond to that? What is going to be an issue here is how this person responds to his wealth, not that God gave it to him. 
And so don't think because you have a little bit of money, you don't need to worry about covetousness. Because I know myself, I'd say I probably have a little bit of money and I deal with covetousness. And if you have a lot of money, that's not automatically an issue. The issue is not how much you have, but it's how you respond to what God has given to you. So what we want to pay attention tonight is how we are responding to what God has given to us. Verse 17, And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Common sense question. Make, makes sense. I could see myself asking that myself that if I was a farmer and needed a huge harvest. This rhetorical question, this question that he asks himself, is prompting us to pay attention to what comes next. It's like an ex- exclamation point. There it is. An exclamation point that's prompting us to pay attention to what's next. Jesus wants us to focus on these next words. Verse 18. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now just take a look at that response for a moment and ponder it. There's a huge issue with this way he responds to his wealth. Do you see the pronouns he uses in this, in these verses? What does he say? I, 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 my, I, I, my, I, my, my. What this person reveals is that he has a focus on himself. His focus is not on the Lord. It's not on other people around him. It is 100% on him. Friends, I want to ask us this evening, when it comes to money, when it comes to wealth, who is your first focus? Who is your first focus? Is it on you? Is it on your retirement, your vacation, your car? I know it's it's really easy It's really easy, especially in our country, to think of money as such a private thing. As such a private thing that is just over here and it's in my private bank account that no one knows except for me. And it's so easy to be 100% self-focused when it comes to our money. That we end up being like this man who said to himself what? And he said to himself... And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So he thought he had found full and long happiness in his possessions. He thought he found life. He thought he had found life. And what has happened, if you actually think about what he's saying here, is that his wealth had become his God. His wealth had become his God. As we'll see in the next passage, next week, 
God, what he does is he takes care of his children. He takes care of us. He's the one we're supposed to look to for provision. He's the one we're supposed to look to for long and full happiness. And what this man had done is he had started to look to his things for long and full happiness. Friends, we have a tendency to exchange things God has created with him. We have a tendency to worship the creature rather than the creator. And this man had started to do exactly that. He started to look to things for his provision, look to things for his protection, look to things for his long life and his long happiness. Which is so easy to do. So easy to do when you have a lot saved up. So easy to do when you have a nice job. So easy to do when you know that you won't face hunger probably in your lifetime. You won't face a lack of medical care in your lifetime. You won't face so many of these things that so many people have to face. How easy is it to start to look to things instead of to God to take care of us? All of us face this temptation. Every single one of us have this tendency to say to our soul, I have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. We have a tendency to tear down and build bigger barns. We have a tendency to focus on preparing for our future instead of preparing for others' futures and the glory of God. But God said to him, fool, verse 20, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? God responds to him and calls it as it is. God responds to him and says exactly what is the case. To look for full and long happiness in things is foolish. It's foolish. How can you look for happiness that won't end when you're going to die? And you don't know when. None of us know when we're going to die. How could we look for happiness that, that never ends in things that let us down, in bodies that let us down. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. St. Augustine um, wrote about this text, and he said about this farmer, he was hoarding perishable crops. I repeat, he was hoarding perishable crops. While he was on the point of perishing because he had handed out nothing to the Lord before him, whom he was due to appear. The crops he's storing up, how ironic. That grain and farmer, things a farmer would grow, they go bad after a while. And his hope for long and full happiness are in things that are literally going bad. Literally perishing before his eyes. And is that not what we're doing? when we put our hope in perishable things? Are we not perishing while putting our hope in things that are perishing? And the Lord is right. That is, that is foolish. That is foolish. It's easy. It's easy for us to do this. It's easy for us to look to things rather than God for our protection, for our help, for our care. Because things don't make demands on us. Things don't demand 
for you to say marry to your spouse. Things don't demand for you to repent and become a new person. Things don't require you to leave your home and go to a new place that God tells you to do. Things don't require you to care for the poor. In other words, by trusting in things, this man was able to stay in control. That's why, that's why we're all bent this way. It's better to look to the Lord to take care of us, but it's harder to look to the Lord. It's harder to look to him because he makes demands on us. Things are easy to look to for help and comfort because we can keep living however we want to. But when we surrender to God, then we must live how he wants us to live. So God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? His worst nightmare comes true. This covetous heart who wants everything for himself, someone else ends up owning all of it. That's, that's the result. Friends, if we, if we spend our lives stockpiling as much wealth, money, resources, retirement, what have you for ourselves, someone else is just going to get to enjoy it rather than us. That is the end of investing our lives in that. So yeah, it's, it's foolish. It's foolish to live for things. It's foolish to live for stuff. Jesus says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. There's two options. One is to lay up treasure for ourselves. And one is to be rich towards God. Before we talk about what it means to be rich towards God, I want to say just a couple more words about laying up treasures for ourselves and just ask you guys a few questions and ask myself these same questions. These are questions that indicate we're laying up treasures for ourselves. Do you think about money compulsively? Do you neglect to give to the Lord? Do you make major life decisions on the primary basis of finances? It's not wrong to consider finances, but do you make major life decisions on the primary basis of money before everything else? Such as I'll move to this neighborhood because I'll get more square feet per buck. That's not a wrong consideration, but if, is that the only consideration? Is that the pattern of how you make decisions in your life? Friends, what's so good is that Jesus is convicting us to heal us. That's right. Jesus points out how we fail in our hearts and fail with money so that he can restore us and show us a better way to respond. What does he call it? I love this phrase. He calls it rich towards God. I want all of us to leave this room this evening rich towards God. I don't want a poor, spiritually poor person to leave this room tonight. I want us all to leave rich towards God. What does it mean to be rich towards God? To be rich towards God is to put him in charge of your money and finances, your time, talent, and treasure, so that he's your first priority in how you use it. He's your first priority in how you use it. 
When that's the case, every sacrifice you make, every gift you give to him, every gift you give to people in order to love him, what you're doing is investing in your relationship with him and you actually get to keep that money forever. The main point I actually want us to walk away with this evening is that we only get to keep what we give to God. That's the only thing any of us gets to keep forever is what you give to God. There's a way you can keep things forever. There's a way you can enrich yourself for eternity. How do you do that? You give to God. You be rich towards God. Here's Augustine again. I love this quote about this text. Just listen to this one. The rich man did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storehouses than his barns. You want a safe place to put your money? You want a safe place to put your wealth? Give it to the Lord. Start spending your time, talent, treasure on making people happy in Jesus. You'll get to keep what you invest in that forever. It goes beyond the grave. It goes into eternity. And you keep reaping benefits forever and ever. You will never regret a sacrifice you make for Jesus on the side of eternity. Never. You'll never feel like you spent too much on him. You never feel like you spent too much time caring for this person who needed help. You'll never feel like you gave too much to him. There's this uh, missionary, I can't remember his name, but after the end of his life, he'd given so much. And his statement was, I never sacrificed anything. He didn't lose anything. Because everything we give to the Lord, we get back with interest. The only way you get to keep something is if you give it to God first. Everything we insist on keeping to ourselves on hoarding, on collecting, on holding on to, we lose that, all of that. Now I know, I know we all need money to take care of ourselves. I understand that houses cost money and kids cost money and wives cost money and husbands cost money and school costs money. So my point isn't that you have to give away 100%. My point is that you make God the first priority in your giving and put all those things secondary and trust him to meet those needs. Like I know when I'm off, when I get my paycheck and I get more excited about putting money into my retirement account than giving it an offering. Like that happens. Like the first thing that starts going through my mind when I see that paycheck hit my bank account is, ooh, I can put this in my tax-deferred IRA and they won't be able to tax it. What's that saying about my heart? It's not wrong. It's not wrong to put my money there. What's wrong is that my heart wasn't more excited to give to the Lord. My heart wasn't more excited about his purposes, wasn't more excited about his kingdom than it was about my kingdom. So what I'm calling you to do is not give every last cent away unless, unless God tells you to do that, in which case you have to. But to have a heart that treasures God's purposes and treasures Jesus' purposes above every other purpose in our lives. And may that reflect how we use our money. Friends, if, 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 they, if someone had a copy of our bank statement and a copy of an unbeliever's bank statement, 
They should be able to tell we're Christians. They should be able to tell we're Christians. And I'm going to share a few ways that it would show up on your bank statement that you're a Christian at the end. But if they had our bank statements, they should be able to figure out that we're Christians. I asked at the beginning of the sermon, how do we use our wealth in a way that brings us closer to God? When you're investing in the Lord and his purposes, and you're sacrificing financially for them, you're drawing closer relationally to God. God wants our money to be a context in which we know him more closely than ever. If we follow God in every area of our life and leave money aside, we will know our God less than we could otherwise. We will know him less if we do not relate to him through how we use our money and how we sacrifice our resources. Just think of this example. When siblings get together to fight over inheritances like this one right here in our story, are these brothers getting relationally closer or relationally further? They're getting relationally further. Money can drive apart relationships. But on the other hand, when people come together to start a company or start a project to care for people, to build houses, and they have a unified purpose around why they're sacrificing, around why they're spending their money the way they're spending, it relationally brings people together. It draws people together. And friends, as we sacrificially give according to our God's purposes, we'll find ourselves experiencing a deeper relationship with him. The way to use our money to grow closer to our God is to use it for his purposes rather than ours. To put his purposes above our purposes. And being closer to him, being closer to him, isn't that greater than any amount of money? He's the real treasure, church. He is the real treasure. And if there's a way you can get more of him by how you use your money, wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you sacrifice your money to get closer? I was going to say light it all on fire, but that didn't make sense. <laughs> I'm not calling anyone to light their money on fire. But seriously, if there's a way to get closer to him, why would you withhold from that? Why would you keep yourself from a way to become more intimate, more close with your God? And until he's Lord over how we use our money and finances, we won't know him like we're supposed to. We won't know him as deeply as we could. So please, church, I'm pleading with you to be rich towards God. Be rich towards God. The reason why we're even able to be rich towards God at all is not because we give enough money to get him to like us or accept us. That's not it at all. That's not how this works. The reason we're able to be rich towards God is because he already gave everything for us. Jesus was the richest man who ever lived, and he came and became the poorest towards God of all time, sacrificing himself on the cross for our sins, paying the debt we could never pay back. 
giving himself 100% towards us so that we could 100% belong to God. Friends, if you know Jesus, you are already rich. You are rich beyond your wildest dreams. And you are able to join in the life of Christ. He gave everything so that others can know God. You're invited to give so that others can know God. And as you join with him and is suffering that way, you get to know him more. Giving away does not get you into a relationship with God. Giving only increases, improves, and helps you to enjoy your relationship with God you already have. And if anyone's here this evening who doesn't know this Christ, who gave everything so that you could have everything, you can know him. You can know him. You repent of your sin. You say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I, I, I have impoverished myself spiritually 100%. I have zero. My bank account is minus a billion. And I need you to forgive me. I need you to welcome me into your presence. I need you to welcome me into your life. And he'll do it. He'll pay that debt. Your, your spiritual bank account goes from minus a billion to positive infinity. Instantly, when you come to him. He spiritually enriches us forever and invites us to start using our wealth as a way to know him more. That's what it means to be rich towards God. You need more of God. That's what a rich person really has. A rich person has more of God than he knows what to do with. And that's what I want for all of us. For our wealth to be such second-tier importance and our relationship with God to be such first-tier importance... If something were to happen to our church, we were to lose our building, we were to lose all our money, we were to lose all our wealth, it wouldn't phase us because we haven't lost our God. And that we would use our money as a church and use our wealth as a church primarily so that others can know Jesus. How shameful, how shameful that so many people in the church use religion as a source of financial gain for themselves. We have an opportunity to be a testimony to the world of the opposite. The opposite. That the love of Christ compels us to sacrifice for the good of other people. That we give like Christ gave for us. That's the opportunity that we're being called into church. So how can we do that? How can we give to God? How can we be rich towards God? I just want it. There's... A hundred ways to do this, okay? hundred ways. Every one of you can figure out a way to be rich towards God. I just want to welcome, welcome, mention two. The first is very simple. Give more to your church. And the reason why I say that is because in the New Testament, the church is the primary way God is using his people to rescue the world. The primary way God is working out his purposes in the New Testament until Christ comes again is in the church. And if you remember, you all have a copy of our budget anytime, all, the whole budget. If we're using our money in a way that isn't making much of Christ, that isn't advancing in his name, that isn't serving the poor, let us know so we can change it. Let us know so we can change it tomorrow. We want to be a church who uses our wealth to change people's eternal destinies forever. One other way you can be rich towards God? And I, sorry, I did, I did, I did want to mention Matthew and Courtney Schmidt and Beth Lane. 
as awesome examples of giving in this way. Because when, when, uh, when you give to the church, we're not saving up for a fancy building. We're not saving up for fancy instruments. We're not saving up for pastoral ski retreats or whatever. We're saving up so we can support people who are going out to serve Christ among the nations. That's what our budget is geared towards. So thank you. Thank you for showing us what it's like to be rich towards God, Schmitz and Beth. Secondly, is have a lifestyle of hospitality. One area I think being rich towards God should show up on our bank statements is we should have really large food bills each month. Because we invited a lot of people over for dinner. I know my housemates, Tony and Emily Wilson, are excellent at this. So if you have any questions, please ask them. Please ask them. But in our city, where we thankfully have a lot of abundance of food, you're not, probably not going to find a whole lot of people that are starving to death. If you do, do whatever you can to help them. But it's just not very likely. But what you will find day in and day out are people who are starving for community, starving for a friend, starving for God. And a dinner table with a good meal is one of the best ways to meet a fellow human being with the love of God. So if you don't know where to start putting your money to be rich towards God, I commend those two areas. And no church that as, as we give, as we give to others sacrificially, we're only entering further into the life of Christ. Doing, he's doing through us what he's already done to us. It's a pic, you become more and more a picture of himself the more you give to others. So the main point, one more time for us this evening, is that we only get to keep what we give to God. And I want all of us to keep a lot. I want us to keep a lot forever by us coming together to give a lot to others for the sake of our God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of wealth. Thank you for the gift of abundance. It only shows us, Jesus, it's only a picture of who you are. You are wealth. You are abundance. You are better than everything. And we praise you for that. And we ask that we would be so full of your presence, so full of who you are, so secure in our life forever with you, that we'd be able to sacrifice and give to others. That we would not cling to this world. We would not cling to our money but instead we'd gladly give it all away so that others can know you more. Thank you, God, for sending your son Jesus to make us rich forever. Not in the way the world defines riches, but in a, being in a relationship with you. And I ask that the way we use our money would take us deeper into you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.